Um, so this guy, Phil Kufaro, tweeted me a picture. Here come some hard-hitting questions from the press, and it's a screenshot from Post Game Live of the Flyers media, all wearing blazers, assembling into Dave Haxtall's press conference last night. I didn't watch the game. It was continuing to pack our gob ton of shirts, but I imagine it was as bad as it sounded on Twitter, Russ. It was a disgrace. Look, it's I, I've called them the union before, and, and, and they're – they're beyond union at this point. Um, last night I got into it with a little bit with Mike Sealski, who I'm not entirely sure understands the game of hockey. Uh, I would never consider myself to be an expert in the sport. There are still certain nuances to the game that I don't understand because I never played. But to write a piece for the Inquirer, the Daily News, or whatever he writes for now, and say that Dave Haxtell needs to be, needs to be, deserves to be, should be, the coach long term with this young core of players is is like writing a contrarian piece just to write it and i and i don't totally understand the logic like he there's there's been this like weird kind of counter narrative that's been going on with the flyers where uh, i think even jason martitas tweeted something along the lines of it uh, not off, not after the ninth consecutive loss but after the eighth consecutive loss somebody had said you know it's amazing that a uh, sixers team can lose like 150 games and nobody calls for the coach's job. But Dave Hackstall's team, I think is like, I, I don't know, like 15 games over, over 500. If you take out the overtime losses or something and people want his head. And it's like, well, yes, there, there are a few reasons for that. And this is what I got into it with Sealski about. Please tell me Sealski brought that up in his piece. No. Well, no. Sealski's piece was essentially, did the that, word Sixers that, appear in his piece? No, but it's it's okay. been like stuff that's been going on on Twitter, and he's he's kind of part of it. So Sealski's piece was essentially Ron Hextall hired Dave Hextall. I still don't like how close their names are. He hired I him kinda, for I for this it. like for this. It's almost like Alex Henry and uh, what was the punter's name? It was another Henry. Doesn't matter. Whatever. Um, like, look, there, there's this idea that because Hextall wanted to change the culture. He wanted to, you know, have an influx. He needed to fix the farm system, which he did. They have a great farm system. They have they have a fantastic group of young prospects, a bunch of guys who we've mentioned on this podcast before who still haven't been called up, and some that when they are called up, they sit in the press box. Um, he fixed that. But the, the team itself is an abject failure at this point. They have one line that scores. They have no secondary scoring. And in creating a, a line that was, I think, at least as of a few games ago, was a top five or top three scoring line in the entire league, it's almost like, like you're playing the, uh, the, the NHL video game effect where you take your three best players and put them on a line together. Like you've, They've crushed their secondary scoring. So Sealski's thing was all about how Hackstall needs to be the guy going forward because he's the guy that can develop players and build a culture going forward. Here's they the problem. <laughs> yeah, well, last night they quit. I mean, there so have been. Here's, here's the problem. Oh, keep going. But I guess the problem is, Skielski tweeted out his column from March, and said, "I still think this applies." So he didn't write it before the ninth like loss. Okay. Just for clarification. That's my fault for not noticing that. Well, because it started. But if you're going to stand by still it, still feel good about this column, right? So it's so I guess like you've now lost nine consecutive games, a ninth of your season has been lost consecutively. Your coach, after I think it was the seventh straight loss, said, well, you know, we've gotten you know seven points in this 10-game stretch or some nonsense like that. They've lost five overtime games. Last night, they quit on their coach. 
This isn't, and then they have a, a closed door meeting where Claude Giroux says that he wanted to make sure the guys were on the same page. Andrew freaking McDonald, who comes back, you know, thanks, sweet baby Jesus, we got our, our wily old vet back on the team to hold the whole thing together, said essentially the same thing. Look, if the, if the Flyers wanted to go into full tank mode, that's fine. Let's go full tank. Bring up Sam Moran and start him. Sit Brandon Manning. Take guys that don't belong on the team like Dale Weiss right now and call up Oscar Lindblom. You already sent Matt Reed down, who was a guy who had established himself at the NHL level as a mediocre player. He had a really good rookie season for those who remember. But, like, look, go full tank mode. The problem is you are spent to practically the, the cap. Like, you've spent almost all of the money. There's almost no parallel to the Sixers team. So when I see guys that are kind of pushing this narrative that the, the city of Philadelphia has been so calm and patient about the Sixers well yeah but we also knew what was going on and there was a large group of the fan base that was very anti-tank but now look at the like you've seen what it does the only reason that the Flyers are not a total bleep show that I would just totally stop tuning out on is they lucked their way into getting the second pick in Nolan Patrick it's the only positive thing that's really happened it takes ridiculous injuries and and just like nonsense to finally get Travis Sanheim into Lem. There are things that Hextall or that Hextall has done on the GM side of calling up certain guys that like Hextall to some extent has to play. But there's this weird fascination where instead of like an Andrew McDonald being, let's say your third defensive pairing or even your second defensive pairing where he might belong because he's like a decent NHL player. There's no reason that Andrew McDonald in his first game back from injury is in Pittsburgh, and you start the overtime period with him as one of your two defensemen. That is, it just defies logic. It's it's so aggravating. And then Sealski to to repost this article, going into their ninth straight loss, is the is the pinnacle of just being tone deaf to a fan base. They're so irrelevant at this point, and they've done it to themselves. That's where I'm at. Adam, can we agree that was Russ's best rant on the show? Yeah, I think that was Russ's best. Pretty sure. I think That's that, what was, I was that was. It's all downhill from here. Yeah, good job, good. Russ. All right, guys, I'm gonna go to work. I was. Yeah, I would. I, I would tap out. <laughs> no. I would just leave. Oh. I would just leave. <laughs> um, I, I was nodding my head with everything you said. I think you touched on a number of factors. The whole media the whole i didn't see jason martitas's comments about sixers but i've seen people in our comment section allude to it which is really not a good way to um you know judge what someone said but uh like the notion of someone comparing the flyers and sixers is so absurd and it's like it's a fool's i don't know if it's a fool's errand uh, it's an idiot's notion could we coin that phrase an idiot's notion because there's some subset of the local media who is not quite frankly, not intelligent enough to really wrap their heads around what the Sixers were doing, which, by the way, was not a complex concept. They were losing to get draft picks and give themselves all of the options and assets that they had and turn them into what they got. And there are people who will point to fail things like Okafor and all that and say it didn't work. But the whole point of that is you're throwing so many traps into the water, like you're eventually going to catch a couple of big crabs. They're not all going to catch one. You're going to get some babies and throw them back. You're going to get that weird pregnant crab where you're not sure if you should keep it, but you should probably throw it back. But you'll get a couple of big ones that are going to be good. And that's what Sixers did. That is not what the Flyers are doing in 
in almost any regard. Like to Hex Hextall is only well liked by the fan base. One, because he's Ron Hextall. But two, because he came in here and at least acknowledged that there were just silly, ridiculous contracts that were on this team that he had to somehow unload. And he's still digging his way out from them. The fact that Andrew McDonald is on the team is evidence of that. But Russ, like you're right, like people will point to Nolan Patrick. Well, that was just sheer luck. Like sheer, like dumb luck, blindside stepped into it. And the difference with Hackstall and say Brett Brown, if you want to go with the comparison, is that Dave Hackstall, you know, he's kind of he's like Chip Kelly in the regard that he's coming from college. He has no professional pedigree, and he he has failed miserably, I'd say, to earn you know his players' respect, the respect of the league. And there's the whole time he's had an attitude that I know better than you. The whole benching ghost thing. Um, you know, the whole, you know, constantly sitting young yeah. players, the whole Andrew McDonald thing. Like, he always is the smartest guy in the room. Now, granted, in that Flyers press room, that might not be difficult, except for Anthony Sanfilippo, who I genuinely think knows more about hockey, about the NHL, than Dave Axtell. But, but you know, like, he, it's a totally different situation. And, you know, I guess there's an argument to be made that let the guy see it through the year with the young guys, maybe. But, you know, the Flyers, we talked about this early in the season. Like, they're in such a weird spot because you have this core, which, by the way, I just want to point this out, and I'm not trying to beat a dead horse here. And, like, look, they're not better off with Mike Richards and Jeff Carter on the team, and that's not where I'm trying to go. But for years, everyone lauded the fact that, oh, my God, what a steal by Holmgren. You know, like, I can't believe they traded our two most notable slash best players and got this incredible haul. Well, this incredible haul, with the exception of Claude Giroux, Couturier, Voracek, Simmons, has been your core now for basically four or five years. And they've won one playoff round and missed the playoffs twice. And now they're dreadful. Like, they're everyone was lauding this core. And the mm-hmm. Flyers have done nothing to make them a second line. They've decided yeah, Kyle, to their that, first that's... line. I get what you're getting at there, but that's I don't think that's necessarily a, you can't do a direct comparison because no the, no 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 the Kings and the Kings had guys like if the Flyers not, had kept Richards not, and Carter I'm like, not comparing it, them it wouldn't to the have been Kings. any better I'm not comparing could, them to the Kings though I do think I'm, of of that lot Jeff Carter was was by far the best player of that lot he, as much as yeah, people he, like Voracek but he probably was. But but, but, yeah, there, there but was... I'm not trying to compare. I'm not trying to compare. I'm just saying that like that is that is basically a second unit. And as you pointed out, right now those guys are the Flyers' best players. So when you put them all in the first line, well, yeah, of course you got a great line. You got three, you know, really good players. But they're all, you know, like that's all you got. You're right. It's the video game thing. And they and, like, they f- haven't had a second credit. line for three years now. I give Hacksaw credit in the sense that like. The idea of moving Giroux out of like from center back to left wing where he used to play, well, out to a wing where he used to play, was was risky. He knew he was going to catch heat, and it's worked. But to, what one of your points that you just made is something that I I got frustrated with last night again as well. This idea that like Hackstall is this great you know youth guru of sorts, this player development guy. He ruined Shane Gostisbehere last year, throwing him into the press box, making him watch, telling him not to play the dynamic style of hockey. That, that he's so good at, even though, you know, sometimes it is a bit of a defensive liability. It reminded me of Doug Collins telling Thad Young not to shoot threes. It just broke the kid's confidence. Yep. So he's been doing the same thing with Konechny, sending him up and down the lines. It's just, I, I don't yeah, totally they hate get him. it. And like, and, like, here's the other thing. So when we get into that Sixers versus Flyers, you know, debate, this is the thing that I, I said to Sealski, is, like, 
the Sixers had nobody of value over those those few process years. Like when you're running out lines that have Vanderblue and James Nunnally, you're not trying to win games. You're barely spending to the salary floor. Remember, they had to do the redistribution of wealth to hit the floor at the end of the season. And it's it a different sport. In a row? Like and it's winning, sport. winning in basketball requires like top echelon, top five talent. No question yeah, and, about it. And, and there's Sealski's only whole thing, one way to go about getting it. Sealski made the point that, well, you know, one good player in basketball makes a bigger difference than, than hockey. I agree. That's fine. The problem is that that top line that you have of Couturier, Voracek, and Giroux, if we're going to go like three good hockey players to one good basketball player, that line as a top three or top five scoring line is better than any player. If you want to go five players, then add in Ivan Provorov and Shane Gostaspare. Those guys are still better than anyone Brett Brown had to work with. Now, I get that the expectations are different, but again... No, but I think what he's it, trying to say there, if you're interpreting it correctly, like, to me, what he's trying to say there is, all you need to do in basketball is hit on one guy, which the Sixers have done. And in hockey, it's not that easy. Like, and you have this first line that's really good, but you got nobody else. It's not that easy. One one player or even one line doesn't make the full impact that a Joel Embiid or Ben Simmons does. The difference is none of the guys, you know, maybe you can argue for the long-term prospects of Provorov, okay? But at the moment, nobody else on the Flyers is remotely as good or has remotely the upside that Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid do, who have genuine Hall of Fame upside. Like, I think we can all agree that they're not, obviously, they're not Hall of Famers, but that is the ceiling, and that is, you know, within their grasp, judging on their rookie campaigns. The Flyers don't Nolan, have Nolan those Patrick guys, first could of all. be really good. He could Nolan be. Patrick but, could be really fine. good, but, you know, again, okay, there, there's a, a sport comparison. Like, hockey takes a lot longer, typically, to make a, yes. a massive impact, you know, the Connor McDavid's of the world. And it's just, I, I the hate world. the fact that we even have to compare it, because yeah. they're two different sports. Like, you, you don't yeah. need, for anyone who tries to compare them, you don't need to do what the Sixers did, basically in any other sport. Like, look at the Eagles. They were mediocre last year, and there were some people who thought, well, you know, like, you're getting Carson Wentz, but you got all these, like, you know, you're spending a lot of salary. You got all these, like, mid-career players. Like, how do you do this? Do you need to bottom out? No. Almost every other sport, you can you could turn it around in two years, you know, through free agency, through a couple of trades. Like, that is not the case in basketball. It, it's Basketball is a unique sport in that regard. There's because there's only a few players, you need to have the best. Because when LeBron James is on the floor against you, you need someone almost as good as him, or two someone's almost as good as him, to have a chance. So like, I even I even hate that conversation. Like, the fact that that's a thing. I don't just, know. We're going around. It's circles. hard. Yeah, I know. It's, I think it's time to, to switch. But like, One other thing. It's, but yeah, Paul Holmgren, right? So everyone lauds Hextall from getting out on their um, Paul Holmgren's bad decision historically awful. bad decisions awful, fun awful fun decisions. as a yep. blogger i will i will note fun decisions because it was never never boring the problem now paul Holmgren is ron hextall's boss the flyers literally promoted paul Holmgren. like this is how fucked up this organization is the guy was a historically bad gm like a laughing stock. He was him and Ruben Amaro. That like that era was great because both and those Ed guys. Stefanski. Just, Can we throw Ed Stefanski in there? Sure, but both of those guys just threw money at things, like threw money at at problems. You know, they, the the ship was leaking, and they just like, you know, they it had eight holes, but then they piled one of the holes with like you know like a giant band aid, and then everything else just kept bleeding. Um, that's a bad, horrible, horrible analogy. That's but the mean. point is, like, he was historically bad at his job they promoted him he's the, he's the president of the flyers 
He now does business things, and he admitted, like, I don't know anything about business. I have to learn this on the job. Like, he said that. I'm learning. He's the president of a professional sports team, and he's learning. He's never really been in actual business. Like, that's how screwed up this organization is. And right now, there's really nobody in charge. Like, you have Dave Scott on behalf of Comcast running the team. But I saw Flyers goals scored by, who hates me, and I hate him. But he was tweeting about us the other day, and he, he's right. Who above him, like, who at Comcast cares? The answer is nobody. It's an asset for Comcast. That day of Ed Snyder's memorial service, when Brian Roberts, Brian fucking Roberts is speaking, there was a part of me that was like, holy shit, Brian Roberts is just going to use, like, he kind of likes the fact that he is sort of like a sports owner now. It's like so down on his totem pole, but there's nobody between him and Dave Scott that gives a shit. And you have this, like, directionless thing. Like, is Paul Holmgren the guy who makes the decision on Hextall and that Hextall has to get approval to fire Hextall? Like, and above that, how much power does Dave Scott really have? And does anyone at Comcast care? Like, for years, the Flyers have been relevant because Ed Snyder was at least such a maniac that all he wanted to do was win that, you know, you could say he was misguided, especially in the later years, but at least they put them in a position to do so. People wanted to be a part of the organization. He treated the players right. Like, they, to me, they feel very like a rudderless organization now because you have no true backing of any sort of owner figure. And, and you no have... Passion. There's, and there's you, no passion. Well, I don't you have, want all decisions below made that. out of passion, but like, yeah. Right. And below that, you have these long-term organizations. You have Paul Holmgren and Ron Hextall. Paul Holmgren and Ron Hextall are the guys who are supposed to change things around here? Well, like, let me just say really quick. Hextall, the, I, you know, he's like the, the he's our fighting goalie. I know that he's done some good things with the cap and whatever. And he's, he's done not, great stuff. He's done great stuff with the minors. Yes, they're, they're like they went from a bottom of the rankings to like a top two or three. Yes, minor league and he's system. put them in a position and they do have a lot of young guys. Him. The problem, his problem is he's dealing with these. Yeah, this problem is he can't get out from under some. And now you got this coach who's stunning the growth of the young players. Like it's just a bad, you know. They could wind. This could wind up turning out great. But I mean, to me, the coach right now is more the problem than anything. The only way I'm I'm on board with keeping Hackstall is if we get like a a Dusty Wathan level kind of support from the young players. Like if if I start hearing Konechny and Provorov and Sanheim and and Ghost and even Nolan Patrick say this guy knows what he's doing and we really do believe in his system and they're genuine about it, then all right. Because for for all intents and purposes, those are going to be the guys that are going to have to be here if the team ever makes an impact. At this point, like we've said it before, if this thing doesn't turn around, you've got to start to see what's available for for Jake and G. And I like those guys as players a lot, but they're not going to win. This core as constructed currently, is not good enough to win. Makes me but so G jealous. Also has I, to approve a trade. I know, right? I know. So it like, makes me it makes me so jealous to watch Pittsburgh be able to get a guy like Kessel. It feels like every year they go out and they get a different big name guy who just makes them an even more stacked team, and it it just doesn't happen here. I'm I'm done on the Flyers. I'm I can't I have, believe. I have one question. So Hextall and Hackstall are two different people. <laughs> all kidding. that and that's his big takeaway uh, <laughs> you guys yeah, are just well, so passionate I had to figure out a way to be a little different you know what's yeah, funny no, like the, fl- the Flyers are so far down on my radar right now like they were they were you know I was you Russ throughout high school and college like hockey Flyers were my team 
obviously part of that is because they were so good for the 90s. But the level of disinterest, and to me, the tweet from Comcast Sportsnet, I don't know if you guys saw it, the other night before the game, it was like, NBC Sports Philadelphia, Kyle. Yeah, whatever. Um, When they tweeted out, our insiders, who really aren't insiders, they're just reporters, but thanks. Jessica Camarado predicts the player of the, you know, the player to watch for the Sixers is Ben Simmons going up against LeBron James. And then John Boric's player to watch for the Flyers is Andrew McDonald. And this, you know, seeing both of these produced images with a little quote from Camarado and Boric in the same tweet, like, shows you the trajectory these two teams are on. One are you is the potential best guy in the NBA, and the other is Andrew McDonald. Yep. Um, why do these dipshits in the media all wear blazers to cover the Flyers? I don't know. Because like, I, I don't know. Like, they look ridiculous. Because they want to be they, on the round the horn one day, and they're going to be there wears blazers. If you've ever gone down point. to a Flyers thing, and, like, I've sat with the media a couple of times – those guys dress like they're going to the prom. Like, I don't think the other beat cores do this. It, not to this extent. Yeah, but there's All these guys wear blazers. Not even it's so cold. It's really they're wearing cold. Bla- Shut know, up, Russ. Not it, to sound like Chance the Rapper on SNL, but it is not it's, cold. it's cold. It's cold Where? in there. In Where? The, in the arena. It is not cold in the arena. It's cold. There's ice. It is, first of all, it's not. Second of all, they're in the press box, which is... It, heat rises, mind you, it's warmer up top you, than Kyle. it is That's... by the ice. Like they're not doing this for warmth. I'm looking at this picture and this like science lesson is brought to you. Sam Carcidi's wearing a fucking tweed jacket. <laughs> like, why are these guys wearing blazers? You're covering a hockey team. Like, you know, I'm, I agree that you shouldn't be like go full Reuben Frank and you know wear wear the sweatshirt you wore to the concert the night before. But Jesus Christ, like you guys look worried. ridiculous. They I'm take a little worried that this bad. This is a bad week, Juju. Now that I'm thinking about it, it. is. Flyers <laughs> have a players-only meeting. Sixers lose to the Cavs, and our good friend Russ is like on Slack, commenting things like, "I'm sad," and "This is tough," and I'm worried now that it's going to rub off on the Eagles for Sunday. But Russ, you were very emotional about Monday and the Cavs. I was like. It was weird because they were, what, a two-point favorite going into the game. and Which the, is crazy. Which which was nuts. Like, if I had a lot of money to bet, there is no way that, uh, that I'm going to throw down money for that. Let me leave you with a, a cliffhanger before we continue on to the Sixers. Wow. Sorry. That was a good Bla- sound. Black Friday was on Friday. So our 20% off sale at our friends at Cozy Jewelers in Newtown Square, located in the heart of the Edgemont Shopping Center, has come and gone. But you still got a month of holiday shopping less, uh, maybe less if you are Jewish. Adam, when does Hanukkah start? 12th. Yep. The 12th? December 12th. What? Seriously? Yes, I'm a better Jew than Adam. I'm not even Jewish. (laughs) What? There's a ranking system? So all you, all you have to do is remember shit and you win. <laughs> Adam, when does when when is the big present night? Is that the first night or the last night? Uh, I would say first night is first night. Okay, all right. So so you have a bunch of time for Christmas. However, if you are Jewish and or just like to celebrate Hanukkah, hey. uh, you. You have like two weeks left. So um, if you are looking to get something really nice, really nice for that special someone. 
you have like two weeks to do it. Um, Cozy Jewelers in Newtown Square is your place. 4.9 stars on Google reviews, 5.0 on Yelp. We've heard from readers who have been super happy with the way they were treated there, which is really half the battle at a jewelry spot. They also have terrific products. Um, They're a certified Movado watch dealer. If you are thinking about getting engaged, you can get $500 off a custom engagement ring by mentioning Crossing Broad or the Crossing Broadcast, which is not an insignificant amount of money. Also, they will walk you through, more importantly, they will explain to you how they source their diamonds. They will walk you through everything you need to know, including the four C's, which can be a confusing process. So whether you're getting engaged over the holiday season or just thinking about doing so in the future, it is definitely worth going there and having those guys walk you through it because I have a feeling that you will go there and they will treat you the right way. You will want to get your ring there. Believe me, uh, especially during the holiday season, if you're if you're you know in shopping for jewelry, you don't want to. I understand you don't want to go downtown; it's too too crazy. If you're out in the suburbs with a large chunk of our audiences, super accessible in Newtown Square, Cozy Jewelers. So check them out. It's c o z z i jewelers dot com, uh, located in the Edgemont Shopping Center. They've been sponsoring our podcast and also Anthony Sanfilippo's Flyers content, which today I think is going to be coming at you with some heat in short order here. Um, so thanks to them the for sponsoring. Yeah, thanks to them for with the with the blazer. Thanks to them for sponsoring the podcast and the site. So the Sixers game. I don't think there's a big. Uh, I don't think there's a real big takeaway from this one. They they ran into one of the best best two or three teams in the league, um, and their threes weren't falling. You're not going to win that game. To me, I, like if they make even thirty five percent of their threes in the first half and don't miss a couple of those bunnies. It's a. It's not only a tie game. They potentially have a lead in the third quarter, and and when they go on that little run to come back, they could have actually built a lead there. I know there's like if 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 all that stuff, but they I you know they just didn't make shots. Look, it looked like the Toronto game. It looked like that that Toronto game where they got blown out by thirty. And like I get that you're playing against the best player in the world. I get that the Cavs finally kind of found themselves and they're on a bit of a hot streak. They they rediscovered themselves. But it's a disappointing game to have at home. And and I was worried a little bit because Ben playing through injury for the sake of being in that game, all I kept worrying about was he was going to get hurt again. And then he ended up rolling his ankle. Thankfully, it was nothing really serious. Completely like, unrelated to his elbow, just to be No, I know. I'm just saying, like, I don't know. You play hurt and you – whatever. But it was disappointing because I, I thought that they would have finished somewhere in, like, the 8 to 12 point range and they look like they got ran out of their own gym that's the only issue i have like i get when you play a great team that there are going to be games that you're going to get slaughtered i didn't want it to be this one at home and it the i think the worst part is like if they had had a, a solid game and still lost but they look like they were in it to the end and then lebron and like jr smith gets hot and they just pull away that gives you momentum going into a game against Washington, and it gives you momentum going into a game against Boston. No, but and, we're past. Hold on, we're past this. We're past we're this past moral what? victory. Hey, they played the Cavs tough. Like they're actually playing for wins this year. They lost. You know, they lost whether they lose by one or lose by twenty. It doesn't matter. They lost. Was it a disappointing outcome because they were favored? And you're like, hey, we could real. You know, we could announce some some level of arrival here by beating the Cavs at home yeah like it sucks but the Cavs are good their shots weren't falling Ben Simmons got hurt like it happens you're okay they're still a young team and occasionally there's going to be games where they just sort of get 
you know, outclassed, and that's what happened. For the first time, Ben Simmons looked like a rookie. I think he was had a little bit of the yips playing against LeBron. He kind of got a little wayward when he gained the paint a few times. Robert Covington is still shooting three-pointers that haven't gone down, and Joel Embiid had to defend Kevin Love out on the perimeter and wasn't able to handle that. And, like, these are all the things those guys will learn. Like, you know, you, you got young players who will occasionally, the Sixers, for all their young guys, have gen, generally not looked like outmatched and out whatever but that's going to happen when you have young guys and and you're playing the talented players who know how to exploit it like well, I, for Cub, I don't even know least, like what else, what other takeaway there is other than they lost was, to the Cavs I think it was Sarah Todd was the one who tweeted out that apparently right before the game Robert Covington found out that one of his childhood friends was was killed yeah and so like I, I think like to some extent like I I kind of get that you're right like they have they had they made even a decent percentage of threes, it's a much closer game. And I think that's kind of the, the story of the season, right? Like, they shoot a ton of threes. And typically, Covington knocks down. He's been hitting, what, 48% on the season? Uh, for him to have a bad game and for J.J. Redick to still not have had more than, what, two good games on the season, I'm a little bit frustrated with J.J. That's my takeaway from that game. I, and it, it's, it's not because I'm looking for a moral victory. My whole idea here is any team, even teams that contend, like Oklahoma City's a trash team right now, but they managed to beat the Warriors. You would think that that would have given them momentum, and they've lost, what, three straighters? Something like that. Um, Covington missing those threes, and J.J. Redick still not being able to knock down threes consistently like they signed him to do is upsetting and is a he little bit worrisome like to me. nine the game before that. Yeah, I said he had one or two games yeah, on I, I, one or two good games on the season. That's my issue. Am I the only one who feels like JJ Redick never takes a three where his feet are set? It always feels like he's this like catch and fade. And I don't know he's, if that's how he's been his entire career. Yes, it but is. But it's it's getting a little bit frustrating. Like he's, no, that, all was, right. that was a game that I wanted, Adam, you want to I take wanted this one of their vets to step up. Hold and, on. and kind of do what he was signed to do. Adam, do you want to what? take this JJ Redick take, or do you? Can what, I take that? It? It's like a regular season game, and he's going to be fine. No, th- well, no, the, about him being off balance. Like he he's made his he's become one of the best NBA three point shooters of all time. Using using this, I'm not yeah, concerned I'm not about. His... I'm just asking because I didn't watch a lot of Clippers. Yeah, he games. runs off I screens. He runs off screens. He puts down two bounces. Like this is how he's been. He's since the time he was at Duke. That's just how he shoots. Like he's not a he's not a standstill shooter. He's he's constantly running off screens. And that's the only I, way he's able to get shots off is by constantly going. Yeah, he's not a big guy, and I, I was surprised at his athleticism. You know, having really pr- not watched him as much as I have since the time he was at Duke. And, you know, I was watching college basketball a ton. Like, I haven't seen him play that much on a consistent basis in the NBA, and I was surprised as to how, you know, he's more athletic than I imagined in my head, and he's a better defender than I imagined in my head. And I think when we sit here and say, all right, well, he's been inconsistent, I think he's done a pretty nice job on the defensive end. And, yes, he's his scoring is kind of an all-or-nothing thing, and that's been – um, buttressed, I don't know if that's the right word, but it sounds nice, um, by Robert Covington being so good up until the last four games, four of those five have come after signing his big contract. So you've always, like pretty much up until that Cavs game, you know, with few exceptions, either Covington or Redick has had a pretty strong shooting night. And, you he's know, shooting, that, that... He's shooting around 41% from three for the season. 
Yeah, no, totally. Like, but he's all, you know, there's also been a couple of games where he's hit, you know, remove his big, what, seven three-pointer barrage and his eight or, eight or nine three-pointer barrage. He's currently averaging, he's currently shooting on average the most three-pointers per game that he has in his entire career. He's shooting 6.43s a game, which is the most in his entire career. That stat brought to you by Cozy Jewelers. That's bonkers. My last thing, they lose by 22, and I guess in a game where Covington, Saric, Embiid, Redick, and Bayless combined to go, I think it was one for 19 from deep, I guess that's what you can expect. Yeah, like they're, yeah, yeah, to me, that's I mean, why I feel good about it. shooting night. It's it, not good about it, but like that's why it's not. If they shot, if they hit twelve three pointers in the game, and still lost by twenty. You're like, well, this is not good because we shot lights out and we still can't hang with them. They missed open look. They, and Covington had a number of open looks. Redick did, you know, did not hit his shots. There was a couple of misses in close. Embiid missed a couple in close. Like, there's probably ten to twelve points where you say on most nights the Sixers pick up just in terms of wide open threes. And you know, hitting even forty percent of them yeah, or half of the wide open threes, it's check. not a big deal. Yes, you know, it's been an yeah. amazing first part of the season uh, to have the leads over the Warriors that they did below them. There was motivation to be taken and confidence, and this is a reminder that the East is the Sixers are not there yet, and that's okay. We didn't expect to be there yet. Ben Simmons had his one of his first real off games, and Bede still played well though. But the other thing is the Cavs and the Warriors have both showed us the the key part of a great team is having a really good second line. And that is the theme of today's show. Whether it's the Flyers or the Sixers or even the Eagles with their ability, their defensive line and how they have two groups. Um, the, the Sixers, every time they play a team, and have to go to their second line, and they're facing the other team's second line, that's where the lead evaporates every single game. When we go out there, and it's the, you know, Sarich and TJ McConnell line, that's where we lose the lead. And it's just because we don't have, you know, those horses yet. But the Cavaliers have the best one in the NBA. And... I don't know, like, the, I, I sent a laughing emoji as Russ was getting very upset because, I don't know, I didn't expect to, to beat the Cavs. And maybe I should, I don't know. Yeah, is Russ, I, I Is know. Russ gone? Yeah, I think he was, oh. he seemed really dismayed by the Cavs loss. And it was like, yeah, it would have been cool to win. I was bummed out Monday night. I was like, ah, oh, man, that, was, that wasn't even an entertaining game. I was all excited to watch the game. And it's like, yeah. okay, it's fine. Like, these are the things that'll happen to young teams. And... They probably win or want one or two of these big games this year, and everyone's, you know, wow, yeah, look the at Sixers the Sixers. The are like the Falcons right now. They need to score as much as they can in the first half because they've shown at this point that all leads evaporate in the second half. But so they have will, to create as much of a, of a gap as possible. But give them credit because they've finished games after those first few games, the Rockets game, the, uh, the Wizards game, and the Celtics games. They've finished games pretty well since. And I know it should be expected that if you have a lead in the fourth, you're able to hold it. But they've done a nice job of closing out games over the weeks two through five of the season or whatever it is, um, which to me, that's even more important because as a young team, like they, they no longer look lost. And this is still a group that really hasn't had that much time to gel. I don't know. 
Still feel pretty good about him. Oh, no, feel I good about the game tonight against the Wizards. If is Ben playing? Do we know? Uh, I'm not sure yet, but I do agree with you that I feel completely good about everything with the Sixers, and that th- I mean, I get, I guess they got in LeBron's head because LeBron uh, got ejected last night. You know, it's that Sixers runoff emotion. There it is. Yeah. D- um, <laughs> we were going to talk about something else, but we'll wait for Friday to do it. Uh, you got it. You got anything else for today? I feel like you've had a short show. You've been quiet. I have. Well, you guys went on that epic Flyers rant, and you guys were both very fiery. And I admittedly don't have as much emotion about the Flyers. I think the only thing I would say is that um, I'm learning more and more that people don't understand what the Sixers were doing with the process. Um, you know, I have my, my dad has always said, you know, they're just trying to lose. It's it's not that hard, and there was a lot of strategy to it. And I'm just realizing that how long do you think it's going to be for every team as they lose, like just naturally lose, not trying to lose? Are they going to go, well, the Sixers did this. Like how long do you think we're going to have to answer that? Yeah, yeah, it's interesting. Yeah, I agree with you because it goes this back to what I This is going to be a thing now for years. Right. That, and yeah, it, well, the Sixers lost. Why didn't? Why doesn't this guy get a longer chance? Why doesn't Gabe Kapler get a longer chance? Right, and I think it's not, you know, it doesn't come from the teams as much as it comes from the media. And it, there's, like, just some su- subset of the media who either for old-school reasons that they, especially in Philly, they have to, you know, pound their chest to rub some dirt in it style of reporting and sports fandom where, you know, if you're not winning, you're not trying, that sort of thing are just never really going to understand what exactly the process was about. And I know we've, we've talked about this ad nauseum, but when it comes up and you see, I guess Mertatis really did mention it in regards to the Flyers. Like, you have to understand that it wasn't about, oh, they're losing and then one day they're going to be good. It was, one, to get the draft picks, but two, it's to increase your chances. Like, short of a LeBron James, draft, even a Kevin Durant, like, he was drafted second behind Greg Oden. Like, nothing is a sure thing in, in, in sports. And the whole point of doing this year after year was acknowledging the fact that you're going to have misses and that if you can accumulate all these assets and draft picks, you will put yourself in a position that you might misfire on some, but you're going to hit on one or two, and they might be huge home runs, which it looks like they have with at least with Simmons and Embiid, and potentially if Fultz realized his potential, now you know you were able to use those assets to go up and get the guy that you needed. What you know, so that's why when people are like, "Well, Julia Okafor, Michael Carter, Williams," you know, like, the, and they'll they'll name all these things. It's like, yeah, we get it. Those guys, yeah, terrible picks, not good, good, bad fits. The Okafor situation has become as untenable as as it could possibly be. But it's like, it doesn't matter because they hit forty percent. They were three of, they were two of five, and and they got him beat in Simmons. That's the whole point of this. Took you five yeah, years to get two way, superstars. Like, like that's my, not what other teams are doing. You can't just lose and say, "Oh yeah, we're going to be good." No, like the Sixers. It was, and it wasn't about just losing. By the way, like Sam Hinkie did some very creative things to get those Kings picks to obtain second round picks that other people would have probably viewed as a waste of time to even bother with to take on a salary dump. But oh, by the way, you're able to use them to do things like move up and get faults. And I like that's consider, what people just don't understand, and we'll never understand if if they haven't already. I don't consider Michael Carter Williams to be bad. I consider Michael Carter Williams to be amazing. 
Like you took this guy at 10 and then you flipped him for like the Lakers pick that panned out to be like a top pick. Like I don't I don't know why he's brought up in the negative well, uh, picks. Because people, you know, there are people who say, well, you had this guy. He was the rookie of the year and you traded him and he turned out to be nothing. Like, what are you doing? You know. Exactly. He turned out to be nothing and we traded him and we got a top five pick. I don't know. I, I think Michael Carter Williams panned out perfectly for us. Wait, holy shit. Breaking news. What? This is this real? Where are you looking? Matt Lauer fired for inappropriate workplace behavior. Yes. Holy shit. This is from Jim Ruttenberg. I'm making sure this isn't like no media column, this New York Times contributing New York magazine. Holy shit. Well that was about this to, isn't, that had to happen. Yeah. For, this is Brian Stelter now. For several weeks, rumors have swirled in the TV business about a damning story in the works about Matt Lauer. NBC Andrew Lack in a memo says there was a complaint from a colleague about inappropriate workplace sexual behavior. On one hand, this isn't shocking because Lauer's always sort of had this reputation. On the other hand, it's like the fact that nothing had come out by now. You figured maybe like, he, you know, he wasn't as much of a dirtbag as his public perception was. But holy shit, Lauer, holy shit. And as I mean, I have he, always said he's a top three big name in media, right? And as I've always said, oh, every every rooster, or I don't even know the phrase, someone ever comes home to roost. And Lauer wow. has gotten so many people fired, and he has pushed people around for so long, and no one has ever gotten upset at him. And I knew it was going to come back. Wow, Savannah Guthrie just announced live on the Today Show. Oh, my wife is going to take this hard. We're a big Today Show family. Why do oh, people like what? Matt Lauer so much? Hello? Can you hear me? Yeah, what did you say? Why do people like Matt Lauer so much? You know, I actually like Ex Lauer. Why? You know, I think he's really good at his job. I think he, I think he's really good. Like what I think part he's part of it. He talks about nonsense. No, he does. No, he. Do, you know, like, look, I, I, I'll be the first to admit that morning shows like that are, um, it, you know, filler and crap for the most part. But the, you know, today's show does a halfway decent job of balance. And what I've learned is that, like, as you, I, I hate to say, like, as you get older, but like having a kid and being up at ridiculous hours, like, I've always been a you know, Netflix evangelist, a streaming evangelist, you know, for five or six years. But you realize sometimes it's easier to just put on the TV. And, you know, like those are the shows you just sort of put on as background noise. Let me, hold on. I'm going to inform her live on the podcast. Dana. Yeah. Dana. Yeah. Come here. You're, you're live on the show. Yo, okay. do it like slowly. Don't tell her right away. Yeah, he's fine. Hey, bud. Right. So, so you're never going to guess who they got. Who's next? Uh, who? Don't tell me. Matt Lauer, no, fired. No. Fired. Stop it. They, Savannah just said it on today's no, show. Fired. Are you kidding? Fired. Done. Inappropriate workplace behavior. No. Lauer's, Lauer out. Done. Fire. No. Fired. Yeah, it's all over, it's all over Twitter get right your, now. Get she your go, kid to cry. She announced it? She go, yeah, apparently. So, oh, I'm so mad I missed it. I'm, I'm sure we can find a replay. Yeah, I'm sure. Fired. I wonder if he even showed up for the show. No, it's 7 a.m., so it probably came on the air. You called it, too. I did. Oh, that's so sad. 
I think Tom Hanks is next. I'm just going to put that on the record. You shut your mouth. I, I know nothing, but if I have to choose a big fish that's going down, I'm going Hanks. Fired. Yeah. That's, I wanted to I wanted to record your de- reaction for historical purposes. All right. Wow, here's the screenshot. All right. We're going off the rails. Sorry, Adam. You don't even care. No, this is good. No, I <laughs> This is crazy. Care. I'm going to eat this up all day. I might I might need a morning bourbon and and watch Matt Lauer's stories. Wow. That is so upsetting. Wow. All right. I don't think this is upsetting. <laughs> it's it's very upsetting in our household. I hear. Well, to your household, I say. What are you going to cheat? you going to watch the other show now? What's the other morning No, show Good Morning America is horrific. It's a horrific show. Strahan fired for gap teeth. Well, he no, he he might be a bigger dirtbag than any of them. I wouldn't be surprised for him to go down soon. He's he, like the, his whole thing with his ex-wife. Like I don't I do not like Strahan one bit. I think he is the biggest phony in media. All right, well, I'll let you guys go and mourn the loss of Matt Lauer. Uh, to everybody that made it through the entire show, you are legends. Friday, we'll be back. We'll be talking about Eagles, Seahawks. Holy crap. We'll see if Russ has calmed down at all from his Flyers rant, and we'll see if Kyle is ready to launch his campaign to replace Matt Lauer on the Today Show. The only question is, how much weird stuff does Kyle have in his past? Find out on Friday's Wait, show. What are the oh, early man. odds on his replacement? I got to go Willie Geist at two to one. Yep. We go Willie Geist. Uh, who else? Who else do they got over there? They use a lot. I mean, Lester Holt got the night show. Um, who else has been? Who else fills in for him on occasion? It's um, got to be Willie Geist because he's doing this. Who played Joey Gladstone in Full House? Stop. I'm gonna go with him. Willie Guy's got the Sunday show. It's got to be him. Oh, it's got to be him then. Wow. 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 That is crazy. He's like, he's one of the, a foul. He's like one of the highest paid guys. And he's like, makes like 20 some million dollars a year. Yeah. Like this, this isn't like canning. Like, like he's like the face of that network. Holy shit. Guys, clearly Kyle's excited. I'm sure you'll read a post on this on crossing broad later. You can check that out on the internet. Uh, Kyle is at Crossing Broad. Russ is at Julian Broad. I am at Adam Lefko. And this has been another edition of the Crossing Broadcast. We'll see you Friday.